Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. All right, everybody. We are back, and I have an unexpected visitor today. Dr. Justin Moody is sitting in my practice lobby. We don't have a waiting area, even though sometimes patients wait. But, you know, that chandelier is my wife's. I mean, I, otherwise, if this were my office, it would be black couches, black leather couches with recliners everywhere. But, you know, since I don't have a say in that, it's not my design. Well, I see you share this lobby area with... Uh, with my wife's practice, yes. yeah. She has her own lobby, but, uh, you know, we put... When a we lobby built, within a lobby. Yeah, in a way, because at the end of the day, they, uh, that office is technically accessible from the side entrance. But we shut it off, so that way people had to walk through our practice, our right. lobby, to get to her office. Right. So it, uh, you know, the foot traffic and it helps. I mean, everything helps. Well, I think but, your lobby's very nice. Well, thank you very much, yeah. Justin. It, what do you? The chandelier. It's nice. I, you know, I think we may have bought that on Amazon. I think. I this think this isn't a family heirloom or anything like that. No, no. I, okay. I'm pretty sure actually we bought it on Amazon. And it cost us more to have somebody put it together <laughs> than it cost because, you know, I don't do physical, any physical labor whatsoever. In fact, uh, we gave away our, um, some chairs at the house the last couple of weeks ago. And my friend wanted me to help him pick it up. I gave them to him, right? Right. And um, he wanted me to help him pick them up and put them in the car. I said, listen, dude, I'll call, I'll hire somebody. I'm not, I'm not picking up anything. But there's a, listen, part of it's because I'm lazy. But part of it's also from a experience. My brother's an oral surgeon. He's uh, eight years younger than me, so he's like 33, 30, 33 years old. Okay, and uh, last year he was last winter he was helping somebody that, that got their car stuck in the snow. He was helping them push their car out of the snow, and he tweaked his back, and he ended up having back surgery, and he has lost some muscle and nerve memory or dam- permanent damage. In his uh, left leg, I think it is. I, I, I just, I can't do it anymore because, you know, my livelihood, if that were my arm, imagine if that were your right arm. Right. That that happened too. Yeah, you know, I think there's something to be said about that. Uh, I used to like, you know, I used to like to ski, you know, back when I was a little thinner and such. But, uh, <laughs> you know, for me today. Now we just roll down. I know, I know, I know. I'd rather, <laughs> can, I just, can I just get pushed down the hill? Uh, yeah, you think about. You know, the, the commitment it takes, you know, the number of people that you employ and such yeah. and, uh, you know, for you to go down with a, you know, a broken wrist from skiing on your right hand, uh, that's. Because, you know, Justin, 
Today, I'm no longer burdened with school debt. I'm burdened with business debt. And life is so much easier now that I don't have school debt and just have business debt that I have to take care of. Uh, yes, yes. So, Justin, what are you doing in Raleigh, North Carolina? And let me ask you this also. Why in the world did you not pay homage to me and let me know you were coming that I had to find out on Facebook that you're here <laughs> and, and make sure that you come to visit me? Uh, well, you know, truthfully... The, the answer to that lies is it's, uh, it's Sunday. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't land here until almost three on Sunday and, uh, Sunday's kind of a family deal and I knew that you had Aaron Elliott and, uh, you did a course and yeah. you were tired and, you know. I'm never tired, man. I'm only tired from eight o'clock at night till six o'clock in yeah, the morning. Yeah, I, I hear you. But part of that was just like, I don't want to intrude on a guy's weekend after uh, a big I weekend. Do. But, so uh, just so you know, next time it's never intrusive. I, um, I need somebody to come into my house and help me take care of my kids for me, to be quite honest with you. Okay. <laughs> So somebody's somebody's got to be dad to my kids. Yeah, there's, there's no such thing as free rent, you know. Yeah. Somebody's got to come over and play basketball and sword fight with my little guy. Okay, so from now on, when you come to town, you'll have to stay with me. Well, I'd, uh, I'd be honored. Yeah, that we'd I'd, love I'd, to have you. And I'd so, be honored. But in all seriousness, what are you doing here in Raleigh, North Carolina? Uh, I do a I do some consulting and some implant training for a. Uh, Large group practice, what they call a DSO. Okay. Uh, it's uh, affordable dentures and uh, implants. They're based here in Raleigh. Yeah, they're based here in Raleigh. You know, I didn't know that until two years ago. Well, I think they used to be actually up in Kinston. You know, yeah. But and now, now everybody kind of lives here. If they wanted to attract good people, they had to move to, to Raleigh. I don't, I don't know the demographics in North Carolina, <laughs> so I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to stay quiet on yeah, that. Yeah, as but, you should. Uh, uh, no, um, I've been helping them train their uh, doctors and implants for about two and a half years, and... Uh, Really good company ran by, you know, really extraordinary people that, yeah. uh, you know, it's not, I mean, it's corporate dentistry, but yet, uh, they've been doing it for 40 years and their doctors have, I, you kind of look at it this way, you know, you can kind of judge a guy's practice by, you know, are they always turning over their assistants yeah. and stuff or do they have assistants that have been with them for a long time? Uh, you know, this having over 200 offices in 40 states, uh, their turnover of doctors is very, very little. Yeah, and it, it, that that should tell you a little bit that they're they're run pretty darn well. I think you know they get lumped in with all the DSOs, and look, yep. I don't look at DSOs as positives or negative, okay? Uh, but they're different, and what what I say they're different as is is they serve a very unique segment of the market, and they pretty much don't deviate from that. And there's for the most part they're serving a segment of the market that most dentists are not serving. You're, you're exactly right. And I think that if you were to think about it, many people get, you know, many general dentists in private practice are somewhat fearful. Really, what they're fearful is the unknown of the DSO. They don't really mm-hmm. know what they do. But an affordable dentures moving in across the street from you is not going to take one single patient from your practice. Not unless you're doing dentures all day long. Correct. I mean, they, yeah. they serve a different, uh, they serve a different demographic and a different need within the community. And oftentimes, you may offer those procedures, but at a fee that would never would would never work for the people that go to affordable dentures. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they are serving a a certain segment of the population is getting served by this group that is is doing a phenomenal job for them. Yeah. And otherwise, they wouldn't get the. They wouldn't. Otherwise, be able to get people the, they'd be gumming it for sure, for sure. Or they'd be keeping infected teeth. Because listen, I you know, and I talk about this in every lecture I do. And we got to talk about the difference in lecturing and, and training a little bit. Okay, we were talking about that. Yeah. But um, every speaking event I do, 
I, towards the end, I talk about us serving our community. And we do a free day of dentistry here where we take out teeth for people. And I think uh, one of the things that our profession is losing sight of is that if a, a average, typical, everyday worker of this country needed a tooth taken out, they'd have to work almost half to a full week to afford the tooth being taken out. Because in my office, if you walk in, and I'm no fancy office, but it's $160, $170 to take the tooth out, plus the exam, plus the x-ray, all in, you're 250 bucks. You know, and the average person makes $10 an hour, $10, an hour in, the, in this country. That person has to work 20 to 30 hours. I mean, tr- imagine having to work 20 to 30 hours to afford to take a tooth out. Right. And, you know, and we have to take one tooth out. Do you think that's the only one you need taken out? Probably not. Probably not. You know, and so, so we should, um, you know, my message is to people is to just open up your office once or twice a year and do goodwill dentistry. Um, just, and not fancy dentistry, just take people's teeth out because there's so many people that need their teeth taken out. I think you hit, I think you hit something, uh, that I think is very important and that is, you know, that give back and opening your practice up. You know, I see a lot of people that open it up and they give away a big cosmetic case or whatever it is, but you know, I don't think, but, that, I don't think, that, I don't think that is, uh, I don't think that is a value to the community because you're talking about, we're talking about somebody that is in pain and, and, and might not be able to do their job or, you know, what if that patient misses one or two days of, of their $10 an hour job because their tooth hurts? Yeah. Like that's a, that's a devastating, uh. That's why BC powder exists. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but in all seriousness, and, and listen, maybe this is, this is the cynic in me. Uh, because I've done these things, I've done these the the shelter cases, these cosmetic cases. I've always I'm, and I'm look, I'm being totally honest. Part of me always did those things because I wanted the exposure, right? Right. Some somewhat self serving, yeah, of course. For but sure. what I do, I don't want the exposure of I'm taking out free teeth. You know, I, I don't want. I tell the TV crews, please don't show up, right? Because I don't want that, right? right. You know, my goal is to literally just help people and. uh I think there's, uh, there's, and, and, and the selfish side of me is if you're going to have a tooth taken out by me, you want to come the week after my free weekend because I am awesome at taking out teeth for that week. When you take out 150 in one day, that next week you are master tooth extractor. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But it's, it's important that we give back. And, uh, I think it's important to realize that there's a, there's a segment of our population that, that cannot afford our services, but, a lot of times it's it's detrimental to their health. You know, it's like the people that bitch and moan about um, dental insurance, like it's a bad thing. And I don't think our industry would be half, or if not more, of what it is without dental insurance. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, 
transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, think about this. You know, is dental insurance really bad for the patient when you have an employer that is paying for it or a good portion of it and the benefit that you could get it from could get at the end of the year is far more than what you paid into. Like that's a good thing for the patient, right? Of course, yeah. It, it is a good thing. So it's not, you know, dental insurance as a whole is not, is not bad. You know, some of these companies choose to spend their money on skyboxes and uh, yeah. uh, advertisements. Sure, <laughs> that, that's okay. But, but it's okay. I mean, it's, a, it is what it is, but I don't, you know, when you see some of those threads on uh, Dental Town or Facebook, you look at it and they're like, you know, death to the insurance company. Dude, our, such, our, like, our industry would die. I'm being honest well, with you. Oh, for sure. Because number one, but see, people don't understand our industry runs, you know, what we do as dentists drives so much. It drives the companies around us, the innovations they create, the products they create. And if, I, if I, my practice were cut in half, I, I wouldn't buy hardly anything. But I wouldn't buy it. I mean, I'd still be doing just, you know, like basic amalgams or something, right? You know, I, I don't know what I would be doing if my practice got cut in half. So um, for us to have innovation, to do some of the fancy, fun things that we do, to do the dental implants. How many dental implants wouldn't be done if patients didn't get some level of reimbursement towards that? You know, and um, it's it's amazing. So, so the majority of my practice is one tooth at a time, you know, yeah. even though I do full arch and stuff. Uh, the majority of what I do is... Uh, replace existing edentulous areas, but most of it is, you know, failing endo, failing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, non-structurally sound teeth that it's the best thing to take it out mm -hmm. and then put an implant in. And, and it's really one tooth at a time. And dental insurance helps them out a ton. Yeah. It helps of them course. out a ton. Because when, if they can pay a thousand, listen, a thousand dollars is a lot. For sure it is. I don't have a thousand dollars. For anybody listening to this podcast right now, what percentage of them you think has a thousand dollars in their pocket right now? Ooh, single digit. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It'd be crazy, right? Yeah. Like, so $1,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, I don't and care who you are. No, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, it's a lot of money. So, um, you know, I think we need to sometimes take a step back and look at the positives of things, not just the negatives of things. Uh, that's odd coming from me, but... Uh, <laughs> but All right, Justin, I selfishly, I want to talk to you about a couple of things, okay? One is you are known as an implant expert. Okay, sure. or, right, okay, let's, I know you don't <laughs> like that title, okay? You are known as a person who uh, has made their living teaching and doing a lot of implant dentistry. Fair. Okay, um, but what's unique about you is um, that you've done it in small towns. I have. Okay, so one of the things I often hear, you know, when people come here and learn from me is, well, you can do this here. And I'm like, dude, there's 50 dentists within a two-mile radius of me. <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? You can do it. I can do it here. You know, well, you don't understand a small-town America. I'm like, 
I'm like, what do you mean small? It's e- in my opinion, it's easier in small town America. So describe your practice, your your story in terms of, you know, being the number of implants you do. You know, I know you don't like to talk exact number, but right. but we got to give some level of, um, uh, you know, we got to give something for people to understand the gravity of it. You know, when I got out of dental school, I, I went back to my hometown of Crawford, Nebraska, population 1,107 people, you know, and uh, that's not a lot of people, you know. No, I think that's my street corner here. Uh, for sure, you know. <laughs> oh, there's more dentists. There's probably that many dentists in this in Raleigh, yeah. Durham, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, I went back there and it was readily apparent after the first couple months that, like, this profession is not for me doing dentures that uh float around and doing adjustments and stuff so i i'd already i already knew i you know that i wanted to do surgery and i already knew that i wanted to uh get into dental implants so i just i just blazed that trail i took every ce that i could possibly get my hands on you know what year did you graduate dental school 97 okay so um, so it's not like you in the gold i call it the lucky golden time of the 80s where people were learning implants and stuff like that you came when implants were you know, a known commodity at that yeah, point. Yeah, you know, um, in school, the surgery and the para department did a few, you know. Okay. We, undergrad, we had zero. I mean, we had no uh, exposure to them whatsoever. Okay. Uh, but I come out. Uh, so you, and, didn't, you didn't know you wanted to do this coming out of school? Not really. You know, I spent a lot of my dental school career trying to, you know, wanting to get into oral surgery school. I had the opportunity to and I just, just decided to... Uh, uh, go back home and I just had a kid and I thought of four more years and on call and stuff just didn't appeal to me. So, and I really wanted to go back home. So I thought at the time and, um, went back and took all this information and what you find. And, you know, we are two hours. I'll set the stage. I, I grew up in a this small community where South Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska, butt up, we are, uh, two hours, 120 miles or two hour drive to the nearest Oral surgeon, orthodontist, uh, periodontist, endodontist. Uh, so for me to refer someone, they're going to lose a whole day of their life because it's two hours up. Well, multiple point, times. Multiple times. Because they got to go for the consultation first. Yeah, which is another story. But uh, yes, <laughs> uh, uh, so they, they would. And, you know, my patients kept saying, you know, Doc, like, I don't, I don't want to go up there. Can't you just take this tooth out? And so I was like, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I just became good at it. And implants were the same thing, and I did a lot of them. Define a lot, if you don't mind. In that little hometown, um, I think the highest I did in there was about two hundred and seventy-five a year. A year. All right. So I want. I mean, I, I like to always stop and put things in perspective. So you were in a town of eleven hundred people. Correct. Your cats. What was your probably your radius? What was your dental population? You know, because oh, obviously so, it wasn't just the town. It was yeah, you know, the so probably the six hours around it. There's, uh, <laughs> you know, within within an hour's drive, you're into three or four counties that don't even have dentists. Okay, you know, so uh, fifty thousand people. No, no, not that much. I would say in our area, we are probably about one to five thousand people. The so, ratio. Okay. So it's a good ratio. So you know what they said? What we need an eighteen hundred or yeah, yeah, something I don't like think that, that or whatever a, it is. I think, yeah, but uh, hell, I'm one to nine hundred eighty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, so you had a you had a ratio of one to five thousand people, mm-hmm. but you're ultimately you're in a small town. You wouldn't call your patient base rich. No, would no. you call your patient base rich? I would call my patient base uh, middle class or a little bit above middle class. What's your definition of that income wise? A uh, hundred grand plus. Yeah, I'm poor. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Like, wait, how about this? We can give a perspective. I think in the Raleigh Durham area, if you want a freestanding home, 
uh, it's going to be 200, 250 plus. Yeah, maybe a third of that to a okay. fourth of that at home. Yeah. So, you know, we had a, you know, after doing all this uh, education and, and getting into implants and stuff, um, you know, we kind of had a mantra at the office was that no dentures, partials, or bridges. And I yeah. just, uh, I lived by that. And I, you know, I preached, uh, you know, bone loss and uh, implants being the only real tooth replacement solution for uh, the patients. And when you started looking at every patient as a, you know, if they're missing teeth, how do I replace them? And you treat every, you know, you treat every single person like you would be want to be treated yourself. There was even more implants in that area to do than what I did. I just wasn't as good then as I am today. Right. You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. I mean, people are like, oh my God, I don't have, you know, there's no way I could do that many implants in your practice. Well, I would challenge you to do this. We kind of talked about it. Yeah, earlier. we talked about this you earlier. Know, uh, in your morning huddle, you know. Well, the, A, they have to have a morning huddle. Yeah, I know. We're assuming <laughs> that they, they've listened to you and they've done a morning huddle. Uh, uh, but I would challenge them to the, the day before they do the huddle is to examine every single patient that's going to come in and see how many edentulous spots they have. Not including wisdom teeth. Not, yeah, yeah. Oh. And not even including second molars because I don't really like to restore second molars with okay. uh, implants. So, so basically 3 through 14, 19 through 30. Yeah. And every morning I want you to uh, circle on your whiteboard what uh, – I have to assume they have one of them too. Yeah. Um, they can get one on Amazon.com. Correct. <laughs> Here in, here, in North, here in Raleigh, North Carolina, it can be here in an hour. Uh, oh, distribution center? We have Prime now. Oh, yeah. excellent. So, I'm sure you don't have that in South Dakota. Uh, negative. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I challenge people to go up there and, and do that for a week and see how many edentulous spots you see in a week because I think that number is scared the shit out of you. Yeah, so it, should, it should. Yeah, so let me uh, – because this is a point of emphasis. So um, in our show notes, uh, we'll, we'll put this down, but I want to make sure – Listen, and, and so when Justin and I would talk, I was walking him through my office in our training center, but uh, we were talking about it, and, you know, we, we don't do that, and I've never really even done that. I think what we should do is you should write down the number of missing teeth you see every day in your practice, first molar and forward, and those are ultimately your candidates, right? That's your, that's your pool of patients that could benefit from implants. And we're not saying that you need to do implants. or you, I'm not even saying you need to talk to them about implants. I'm just saying the first step to decide that if you could, if your practice could benefit from you adding implant therapy and learning about it is to figure out what your patient base is. I mean, if you literally have a patient base that all have teeth, then maybe your dental implants aren't for you. Okay. Uh, number one, I'd like to know where in the world you are. Okay. But but if you write down and keep track of for one month the number of missing teeth you see in your practice, that'll give you an idea of the number of opportunities you have. And all I want you to do is then take that number and multiply by 5%. Okay? And that's your opportunity. I'm not even saying that you need to have 20%, 30%, 50% conversion. I'm just saying if 5%. you use 5% conversion... Okay, if you could just convert 5% of that, that, those patients into dental implants, just imagine what that would do for you, your practice, your patient base. And, you know, for me, the big picture of that is what does that do for your practice life? Does that buy you more time off? Does that get you out of debt? Does that allow you to have more freedom? Does that give you more satisfaction because, hey, you don't love doing fillings and crowns and the everyday general dentistry again? You got, you got to look at it. So make sure... Yeah, you know, do this favor for me is just write down 
the number of missing teeth you see in a month, and then, you know, post it on Facebook or post it on our forum or post it, you know, send me an email, send Justin an email, and, and just let us know how many, you know, how many potential implants are in your practice. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here, bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all annex fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. The number will scare the hell out of them, and it should. Uh, and then throw in, um, you know, sometimes what gets lost in that number that you put up there is, uh, I want you to write down on the board how many teeth you're going to take out that day, because you're talking about a number that are already edentulous. Yeah. And how about the number that you're going to edentulate yeah. that day? And you know, because there's two numbers, and they don't always get they don't always get posted. And when we talk about edentulating somebody, you know, whether it's one tooth at a time or a whole arch, uh, what about what about the economic implant of grafting those sites for future mm. implants or even an immediate if you have that skill set? Because when if you, you, have that, because, you need to have that skill set. Right, because it's uh, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it's not just we talk about it being a revenue stream for your practice, but it's how about, how about a revenue that actually is the right thing for your patient. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with Mike Detola while he was still at Glidewell, and he was telling me that uh, – one of the goals that Jim Glidewell had was that we stop doing extractions and instead we start doing tooth replacement therapy. That we in dentistry need to find a way to make it more achievable for more patients to get tooth replaced. And uh, if I can go on a tangent for a second, you know, it's I your think. Podcast. Well, but you're my <laughs> guest. I guess that, that's true. It is my podcast. But, um, uh, and I'd like your thoughts on this is is I think we've made dentistry, I say this somewhat oddly, okay, we've made dentistry too expensive. You know, the average tooth replacement in this country, what do you think, if you take across America, what is the average cost to get a tooth taken out? Sorry, to get a tooth, single tooth replaced, restored, the whole deal. I'm sure it's over three. Three thousand, thirty-five hundred dollars. Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm sure it's probably the average is somewhere between thirty-two and thirty-six hundred. Okay, so uh, let's call it thirty-five hundred dollars. Sure. Okay, which is my fee. Um, so the average price is about $3,500. And honestly, that's a lot. And that's a lot for the vast majority of America to handle. Well, we just talked about uh, how many days at, at $10 an hour does it take uh, to re- tooth, replace a tooth? 
uh, impossible. Thirty-five hundred. <laughs> it'd be impossible, right? It's impossible. You know, so that 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 person would have to work three months. I mean, to to be able to afford that, you know. So so we we've, we've got to come to reality. And and I'm not saying that you need to make less money doing implants. I'm just saying you got to do more of them so that you can be more confident, comfortable to do it. So for example, in my practice, a single tooth to be extracted, implanted, and restored. Uh, over three visits, a total of about an hour and a half of chair time. Okay. And uh, so, you know, our goal is to make it more affordable for our patients and I can make it more affordable and still more profitable for me uh, along the way. So, so what we have to do to make implant dentistry more achievable for people is first, we have to adjust the three chief uh, fears they have, uh, time, fear, and money. Okay. One, we have to let people know that implant dentistry isn't what it was in the 1980s, that it can be done uh, guided or flapless and uh, all of those things. Um, it can be done without major surgery. It can be done where it's as pain painless as a filling or, you know, something like that. Uh, number two, we have to make it more affordable, the money component of it. I would like to see the day where we're able to, maintaining the same profit margins or profit dollars even, uh, do an implant from start to finish uh, at about $2,250, $2,300 is where I think I'd like to see my practice get to. And then number number three is we have to address the time. And too many, on average right now, uh, in most practices, if a patient comes to you and needs a tooth removed, it's going to be about seven visits before they get the tooth replaced. And uh, I think that plays a role. So imagine if your dental assistant or your dental hygienist or your dental front office person came to you and said, Doc, I need to take seven times off of work to get a tooth put in my head, how that would make you feel. And it's no different for your patients who have J-O-Bs to go ask their employer or to, if they don't have an employer, say their self-business, to disrupt their own business to get that done. And so we have to find a way to make it faster, easier, and more affordable for patients to do it. All right. What you what you hit on is something that I feel very passionate about myself because uh, dentistry has gotten too expensive, and uh, we're pricing ourselves, you know, out of the market, and we're leaving a lot of people that need our services behind. Well, we're also but, opening up the market for DSOs to come in and, and really take something that we're not, you know, we're, we're creating our own problem. Well, not if you if no, you no, no. if, if the, you view the, it as a problem. No, the, yeah, the, the, it is the the DSOs. The, the DSOs are just finding the solution for the problem. Yeah, you know, and they're being they, smart. You know, and, and how do they do that? You know, one of the things that they do is uh, obviously they uh, have a buying power that you and I don't have. They, so the, the the price of those goods that go in there, they can start to lower their lower their fees by maintaining their the you and I's profit yeah. type margins by you know buying a. Uh, deal. What I think you and I can do for our profession to help combat this is exactly what I'm looking at. The science is 3D dentists. I think that technology can help us get to those numbers. It's the equalizer. It can help us get to those numbers because you just said what it was going to take an hour and a half to get that done. Max. We need to get that down to 45 minutes. And I could. I yeah. could. I'm but saying. Need, I'm saying restored the whole deal. Right, but I'm. I'm saying the same thing. Like yeah. I think that there's always going to be an, an inherent price to the overhead of the building and the time and the sure. so forth. Uh, the more you implants you do, that you know you can trim some dollars in there. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna you know, uh, just so you know, I'm gonna um, buy the website and patent it or trademark it. Implants under an hour. Can we share it? No, I already own it. Oh, you, you keep are. talking while I go on Google <laughs> and buy it. 
<laughs> but uh, um, you know, I was thinking that uh, that that technology is going to allow us to do it in in cut the time. So when you can see those, when you can see that, all we're doing is selling our own time in uh, small blocks. You know what I mean? That's all the dentist is doing today is selling their time. It's a customer service business, and if we can create value and provide the service to them in. Dude, somebody already owns it. Really? Yeah, implants in an hour. They're Damn not- it, I thought I was just being smart here. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. Uh, but you're, you've hit, and I think technology is the equalizer. It, scanning technology is the wave of the future. It, it's not the wave of the future. It's already here. It's just a matter of who's, going to, who's willing to step up and adapt it and, learn, and, and work over the learning curve. That's really what it comes down to. So. Well, we got to come up with a new name, dude. All right. Now I might be in your. Now we can be partners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right. you know that's the that's the deal. You know we. You know you you said time, fear, or money. Yeah. Well, you know fear we can combat with sedation. You know, sedation and technology. Yeah, sedation and technology. You uh, know, look, fear is also part of it. Is like when I talk to patients about implants, they tell me their grandma story. You know, my sure. grandma went to a hospital. They, you know, they they wrapped her up and they had a little hole in the towel. Right, right. And they opened her face they up. Like, they looked like they were in spacesuits. You know, yeah, the whole deal. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so you know, I think part of that fear is uh, is is I think that's real. Okay, that's part of the fear as well. But you know, sometimes fear also has to do with the fear of the money part. Yeah, fear. You know, a fear of losing that much money or. The, the fear of the cost of it over the, the benefit, you know, the cost to benefit uh, analysis that they do in the brain in a matter of seconds that decides whether they're going to, yeah. you know, whether they're going to move forward with it or not, you know, so time, fear of money, you know, time. I also agree, like, it shouldn't take as many steps, you know, with today's technology and with today's implant designs and the, the, uh, the 3D printing and the, the ability to create, uh, custom, you know, screw retained temporaries to give everything them, to, to, get, to give them their tooth replacement same day. Yeah, yeah. I think we can go to final same day pretty soon. Well, what's to keep you from doing that in select situations? Yeah. Like, like, you know, everything. I think what got all on for so much notoriety is they created this protocol that Clear Choice. It's a Nobel uh, uh, trademark, but right. you know. Clear Choice took it and ran with it and, and said, you know, hey, you know what? We've got a solution that fixes every single person. Yeah. And the fact is, is that I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, but if you know the parameters that you work with, uh, you, if you understand the physiology and the, uh, the risk factors ahead of time, there's no reason in most of these cases we can't put temporary restorations on them if they meet the criteria that we know are good sound principles and right. backed by backed by science. You know, it, it isn't always four months and forget it. Like like no. like, and, no. and, and and we're also finding that uh, it's not just about replacing that uh, tooth, but it's about what it looks like. When I got into implant dentistry, you know, twenty years ago, it was just about function. Like I just want my tooth back so I can eat with, you know, or hold yeah. my denture. It's in the way place. beyond that now. It's all about aesthetics, yeah. and the temporary isn't just about isn't as much about giving the patient their tooth back, but it's about managing the soft tissue and yeah, giving about, us the giving us the ability to create an aesthetic result that doesn't have a litigatable uh, yeah, ass chopper following it. It's uh, it's it's preparing the papilla and preserving the papilla 
for sure. You got yeah. you got to preserve the bone to preserve the soft tissue. It's a mm-hmm. symbiotic. It's a symbiotic relationship. If you if you've got bone, you have soft tissue. If you have the, good what thick, is it? Soft the, tissue, the bone, bone sets the tone, and the tissue, tissue is, is the, the issue. issue. Yeah. Uh, so I really hate that saying, but it's so it's really. True. But it's true. It yeah. is true. It is true. You know, and what I have found in my own private practice over the course of the last three years is the the emphasis that I have placed on good keratinized tissue and the either building of it or the preserving of it in the long-term restoration because guided surgery helps us in this way too because it allows us to virtually treatment plan these cases so that we can plan an appropriate sized implant to have at least a millimeter and a half of bone 360 around the thing so it has good blood flow so that crest of bone stays where it's going to be because and you can maintain the approximate bone from pillow right Right. If you if you main, if you maintain the bone, you're going to maintain the tissue. You know, and I, I remember. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. But actually, I'm not. But I know you're not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, I just thought about this, and my mind is so fleeting. If I don't get it out right then and there, <laughs> um, when I was growing up, learning implants in the early 2000s, okay, like 2004, 2005, everything was being taught that site number eight had a four millimeter implant by 13 or 15 length. You know, that's, that's, everything was long implants and, and wide implants. And, and what I know now is that it's, to me, it's absolutely the opposite. You put the implant in that supports the site. So if you have, you know, if, if you need a three and a half millimeter implant that gives you that one and a half millimeter bone all the way around it to have the blood supply and everything, that's the appropriate implant. Correct. You know, you don't need a five millimeter implant unless you have the space to support that. And, uh, and I think people misunderstand that oftentimes. And maybe, and, and listen, I'm a big guided proponent. And I will say that even in when I run my classes uh, on guided surgery, what I see people planning now are bigger implants because they can fish them in the right spot. And I, I think they miss sometimes the biology of the problem of having bigger implants sometimes. Well, I think we have a, I think we have a problem in the dissemination of uh, old information versus new information. And uh, don't get me wrong, I would not be where I was at if I hadn't studied under Carl Misch and done these things. But, you know, his biomechanical principles that he relied on back then were, you know, it's like a bridge pillar, build a bigger bridge pillar, you know. And as much as he was grounded in science, which he, he was, what we're finding now in 20 and 30 years having these things out is that the the biology is this. The bone needs to have vascularity and it needs to have a certain amount of thickness to be able to maintain itself over the long haul. Like I can, I can make teeth look really nice the day, you know, in, in, in my, in a four month window. But what does that, what does it look like five years from now? What's yeah. it look like 10 years from now? And that's the true test. And I'm finding that myself. Well, for sure. I mean, I mean I'm looking at the stuff that I first placed, you know, and, and that's adds a little bit of a difference too, because the implants that you first placed were probably not the greatest positions and they were, and the implants didn't have science like they do today. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, it, it, it's not apples to apples, but why is the bone receding from those? Well, I thinned that buckle plate too much. I got the the head, I got the fixture head way too far. Well, the, the fixture heads were wider than or, the or implants. Too wide, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the fixture heads were too close together. So they had a, shitty emergencies with no chance to have pillows. Or we did tissue level them. implants or we didn't bury them deep enough. We didn't have platform switches. We didn't have sloping necks. We didn't, didn't have, have we didn't have technologies like laser lock that yeah. had soft tissue attachment to the rims. Like a, like there's a lot of technology today. Like I, Tom Likvish is from uh, uh, Romania talks about zero bone loss. Yeah. Like that's his mantra. But that should be our goal, right? 
the implants I place today, I expect zero bone loss. And when I, when I went through my training, you know, the implant that I first started placing, like, you know, it, they would tell you that, Hey, you know what, you're going to lose bone down to the first thread, then it's going to stop. Like who would buy an implant today? If that was the, the, like, Oh, Hey, put the implant in, it's going to lose bone down the first thread, but then it'll stop. Like no one would buy that implant today. So tell me where the first thread is at the very top. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, for sure. I mean, you know, does it have a collar? Does it not have a collar? Is it surface treated? I mean, you know, there's there's so many things about it. You know, and we we talked earlier that if you use good sound surgical principles, they all work. Yeah, they do. The they, titanium they, works. They, they yeah, they you know they all work. I mean, think about it. our literature from the Brandenburg implants are on essentially machined implants. I mean, they're... they're machined smooth with yeah. collars. Like, yeah. yeah, they work. I mean, the worst type of... Imp- I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but essentially what's proven to be not the best scenario, and they work great. Yeah, they worked. Yeah. Uh, they didn't work great because if they worked great, we wouldn't have, cre- we wouldn't have added more science to right. them, you know, today. But you're exactly right. I mean, I... The first implants that I placed were Sterngold's machine smoothed uh, external hex Brandemark styled screws, and I got hundreds of them out there in function today. Some of them are not aesthetic world beaters today, but uh, but we weren't aesthetic world beaters back then either, you know. No, 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 we we weren't. So uh, I think there's a, you know there's a change in technology. You know, your comment. I've been thinking about this. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, I went on a trip to Egypt, my best trip I've ever been on. Uh, 2003, my wife and her family, my in-laws, uh, made me made me kicking and screaming go to Egypt. I mean, no, really, they did. I didn't want to go. You know, I was, you know, we had just started the George Bush Jr.'s uh, Gulf War, and I, I didn't want to go. And 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 quite honestly, I probably just didn't want to go with my in-laws. I love them, but, you know, that's... <laughs> Um, but, uh, Move on. Yeah. yeah, I better, I better keep that, keep moving. No, I love them a lot. And I really do. We've gone a lot of vacations since then, but, um, it was eye opening to see what our species was able to create in a time where we had no electricity, no mathematics, no, you know, no calculator, no, no anything that we have today and how these things stood the test of time. It was, and my tour guide kept saying, uh, you know, I'd ask him, so were they doing brain surgery back then? He goes, there's nothing new under the sun. And then like three days later, we'd end up in this one place and he's, he'd pull me aside and says, see this higher, you know, whatever, you know, the, how they, you know, so draw on the walls or whatever right. they did. They said, see, that's, that's surgery in the brain. And that's, that's 4,000 years old. I'm like, you're kidding me. And I remember I said, what about, what about teeth? Were they replacing teeth? And sure enough, you know, the next day or two days later, he showed me a mandible or a jaw that had a nail, you know, nail in it. And uh, so it's it's quite amazing that there's nothing new under the sun today. That is a um, that's a statement that I, I like. I said I've been pondering that for about an hour after you've said that, and it's uh, it's really it's really kind of true. And we were talking about it in the sense that nothing we teach is ours. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not like, you know, I didn't create any of the stuff that I teach and, and everything that I teach is a culmination of, uh, a lot of individuals. And, and, and truthfully, you know, my association with you and especially your thoughts and your visions and, and, and how you, you know, look at your office, uh, in small aspects is, is influenced my thinking going forward. Yeah. We, we should influence each other, right? I mean, correct. And, correct. You know, and, and listen, what I teach is a culmination of, you know, listen, 
I don't teach anything that I think somebody should go back and 100% implement because that's a bad idea. Because what I do in my practice works for my personality, my leadership style, my patient base, my things that I've set up. What's important is anything you learn, you've got to make it your own. You know, you've got to figure out, hey, what did I learn? How did I do it? How did I put this into my practice? How do I nuance this to, to make it fit my team and all of that? So, you know, there's, there's uh, nothing that we're teaching that isn't borrowed from somebody else. So, right, right. So speaking on teaching, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had a conversation uh, about the difference between speakers and trainers. Mm-hmm. So they're, uh, they're, they're, they're two different species. Yeah, because oftentimes I hear people that are speakers, that are professional speakers. In other words, they go out and they talk. And most of the time, not all the time, okay, but generally lot, many of them are showing how, look how great I am, look what, I, look what I've done, look what I have, and like that motivates people, which I don't think it does. And then I break people down into people that are trainers, and I like your word better, they're mentors. Uh, in other words, people that do, hey, let me, let me bring you into my office, let me show you what I'm doing, let me give you information and show you exactly how to take it back to your practice. And, and they're two different people. I think, that, I think some of the differentiation between you know, a professional speaker and uh, the trainer slash mentor, which I, which I like to uh, prescribe to, and that is the greatest, you know, the greatest compliment you could pay me would be to say, you know, I really feel like you're, you know, uh, one of my mentors, yeah. you know, in my implant career or my life or whatever it is. And, uh, uh, you know, the greatest email that or text message I could get would be, you know, a picture of, uh, you know, your first implant that you placed or the, you know, that nice restoration you put on it. Like, uh, and I, and, and that mentorship goes beyond that because, it's accessibility. You know, how, yeah. you know, how often do you have the opportunity to listen to a professional speaker? Uh, and I, and I, and I'm not here to, uh, bash on Carl Mish, but you know, he, you know, that wasn't an approachable style thing, you know, like, you but know, he was Carl Mish, man. He was, he was like implant God. I know, but, it, but at the same time that he ended up being a little more professional speaker than he was yeah. trainer or mentor because I never had his cell phone. Yeah. You know, like if I send him an email, he's not going to answer me back. And uh, I think that that for me, I don't have to train and I don't want to train hundreds of people at a time because no. I can't do, I can't make a difference in their, in a hundred and some people's lives because I don't have that kind of bandwidth. But, I, these, but these smaller courses like your training center with 12 is, is, is absolutely ideal. Like that is. But people have to understand they have to pay a little bit more for that. And that's the challenge that as trainers that we find is that when you can put 36 in a class, I can't put 12 in a class and charge the same. I just can't. You cannot. Uh, I, because I, my I, overhead is probably more because I don't have the, the cost. I don't have the numbers to justify right. buying things in bulk and things yep. like that, you know? And I also, uh, you've made a couple of posts that, uh, you know, most people found not true. And I definitely find it true. And someone had said, why would you want to spend the $300 on a, you know, top five implant brand out there when you could buy an Israeli one for 68 bucks or whatever? Yeah. And you made the point that the Israeli one is not going to put any money in R&D. 
The Israeli one is not going to have a rep that's going to come and help the doctor that may need it, that that the office that may need someone to help them to even figure out how to set up the surgical motor. Yeah. You know, like simple the, things si- simple, like use an impression post. Yeah, that are that are that are va- that are so valuable to the, the to the to the workflow. And if we all bought if we all bought that sixty dollar implant, then. A lot of the innovations and the things that we use today would go away because the, they there's, there, 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 there's no there's no money in it. Yeah. And the same thing happens in the the training mentorship is that uh, if you if you only want to spend a hundred dollars for a course, you're only going to get a hundred dollars worth of information because there's nothing there's there it can't be put on. You can't have the kind of facility you have here and the dedication to the 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 success like you you are dedicated to giving those people the best opportunity to have success with what you're going to give them yeah but i'm also giving them and this is not about my courses or your courses but but the mindset's there i'm also giving them myself right you know they have my cell phone number they 100%. have my email address they have Lori's number they know how to get in touch with me not only that when when we have courses they have liz's they have access to liz they have access to melissa megan you know angela my team as well because you know we're dedicated to their success and i want to go back on that uh I, maybe maybe and maybe this is just me but um I don't get I, my, the text messages and emails I get usually not look how great my implant is. Mine are usually like, what did I do wrong here? Well, <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I would say that's almost even a more, um, that is almost even more powerful because that means you made somebody comfortable to share their, their not so perfect with you. You are, you are correct. And, uh, you know, I get those, you know, maybe you, I just deal with dumb people. <laughs> that's not true at all. Uh, you know, you get that, you get those as well. And, uh, you know, my, my teaching style is more of, I don't show a lot of like perfect cases and, and so forth. I, I am way more apt to show you what happens if you don't do it within these parameters and then maybe how you can help fix it or how you got to replace it or whatever. But you learn way more from the, the mistakes that have been made over time than you ever would by showing somebody like, Hey, put it in this spot. You'll have this perfect outcome and now go do it like that. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way because you know, we, we work on humans. Yeah. Like, like, like every one of them is different and they carry a different story with them, both biologically and psychologically. I was talking to you about that at dinner today. Yeah. The whole thing. You know, how I've had patients five years down the road where, you know, their health drastically changes and now my implants are failing. Uh, yeah. And it's unfortunate that, uh, it's unfortunate that our profession somehow over time has developed this mantra of whatever is done in the mouth is a, is a permanent solution. It's not. Well, it's far from it. You know, it's, it's like, it's no know, different than a I'm hip un, I'm or unsure, a knee. I'm, I'm unsure why physicians are given this, this, this latitude and not dentists because it, it, it starts from the lobby. You, no one goes to a physician and expects to be taken back on time. No one. No. And they'll sit in the lobby for hours for the physician. If I sat out here, if I was sitting behind there and I, you had a room full here. If you, if they're 10 minutes, five minutes past, you got the, the, the watch watchers and the, <sighs> yeah, <sighs> you know, making sure they can hear your sigh. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like, well, and then we're just as bad because we get up and say, I apologize, you know, the whole deal. 
Nobody in the medical office gets up and says, "Oh, I'm no. sorry, it's late." They you know, look at you like, like "What do you expect?" Yeah, I mean, you're at the medic, you're at the doctor's office. Like, yeah, I you think know. I think one of the things the physicians have done very well from a surgical side of things is they never ever tell somebody anything is forever. They've never guaranteed they work. Even you know, I find this. I find this uh, in my first my first uh, five, six, seven years of practice. I used to have a ten year guarantee on anything I did. And I, and, and and that was just stupid. I mean, quite frankly. And, um, because nothing lasts forever. I mean, you know, if you get a knee replacement, they tell you, you're going to have to have this redone. You get a hip replacement, you're going to have to have this redone. You know, my, my father-in-law, for example, had quadruple bypass. They were up front. Listen, you, you're, you know, this is not forever. You know, this doesn't fix you. And, uh, and I think in dentistry, I think uh, names like lifetime dentistry or, or lifetime guarantee. Yeah, we did or, it to ourselves. We're doing it to ourselves. For sure. You know, and, and this, this immediacy to give back money if something fails, you know, um, and it's not about the money, but it, it's the precedent it sets and the thing it creates and how we all, in a way, are competitive with each other. And well, if Justin's giving money back, I better give money. I'll just give my money back and $50 for the inconvenience, right? You know, I, I love our profession. I mean, I think that there's, uh, I wouldn't trade it for any of the other health professions, but there is something that the physicians do that, uh, or don't do that we as a profession do, and that's bus drive. Like, it's really hard to get other physicians to turn on another physician, you know, yeah. about work or a diagnosis or whatever. Yet here in dentistry, like, you could go down the street with a treatment plan and oh, you didn't need all that. Oh God, you know, that's true. And he just, that's over treatment plan, you know, and no one does that anymore. Like, like my answer is like, who does that today? Like yeah. I, I have this, you know, when a new associate comes into my system, you know, the first thing that we talk about is the anti-bus driving. And I was like, you know, the quickest way for me to show you the door is for you to start running down another dentist to try to sell your work. I said, cause that's not what's going to happen. Cause you better give Every single dentist that came before you, the benefit of the doubt that they did the best job they know how to do that day. Yeah, and in that condition. In, in that condition. You don't yeah. know what those conditions were. So you've got to assume that they did the best job that they could physically and mentally do under those conditions and that day under those circumstances. And you let that go because if you see that endo that's short, don't have the first thought that I can take that out and replace it. My first thought is like, why did it end up short? Is it calcified? Is nobody there, makes it, an intention to leave it short. Correct. So mm-hmm. the so your your first thought should be why was it short and what makes me well, think. Well, especially on multi. How about this on multi-rooted teeth? If there's three roots there and two of them are the right length and one short, nobody in their right mind says I'm going to leave that one short purposely. No one. Yeah. No one. So what makes you? Yeah. You know, what makes you think that you're going to be able to do any better job? Yeah. You know. So it's like quit it. Like a profession needs to quit it. You know. It, uh, I don't know. That's kind of a little soapbox of mine. That's all right. Yeah. So real quick, Justin, let, let's give, so I didn't even ask you that. I didn't give you the benefit of this. Yeah, describe, so how, what do you, you own one practice, multiple practice? What's your deal? Yeah, we have six general dentistry offices and then uh, my surgical center. So okay. there's associates in these uh, uh, dental offices. Okay. And um, So you're a multiple practice owner? Yeah, I am. Are you 100% owner of all these practices? I am. Okay. Yep. All right. So uh, not a, Are they associated with any DSOs or they're just your practice? Just me. Just you. How did I mean, you get into that? I, you know, 12 years ago, I opened, uh, as long as that, uh, I, I wanted more. I, really what it was is I came down to, I wanted more implants. Okay. So I went and uh, opened a satellite office and uh, bought a guy out that had retired. 
and really all I was buying was his office and uh, the real estate. Yep, yep. So went uh, went sixty miles uh, one day a week, you know, to to see new patients and have a new pool of patients, and then it turned into two days a week. And uh, pretty soon, I built a new office down there and hired an associate and put them in there. We did. Uh, we acquired another office. We built a de novo office. Uh, and de novo means scratch start. Yeah, yeah, scratch okay. start office. Um, just did another de novo office just uh, August of last year. Do you intend to build more? Um, you know what I'm more concerned about today? I don't look much at the demographics like, uh, oh, this town needs one, you know, or this and that. Mine is Mine today is driven by people. If you're, I don't care if you're a young dentist or an old dentist or whatever, like, a dentist comes and talks to me and has a real, has the same principles that I have and a drive to do it. And they don't have the wherewithal to, or the ability to do that. Uh, I'm more likely to build something around that person. Okay. Than I am like picking the demographics. So in like, other words, you like want to do that. You want to find the associate first, maybe? I always, I always find the associate first. And I, I know that you're kind of going through that process yeah. now. And I, uh, I've done it both ways. I'm going through that process because like you, I want the right person. I don't just need a warm body in here. If I needed a warm body, it'd be a different story. You know, there, there's plenty of warm bodies, but the right fit for you has to be the right fit for you. Has to be the right fit for the lady that sits behind that counter. Has to be the right fit for the treatment coordinator because yeah. they, it's a, it's a, it's a family here. I mean, we spend more time with our teams than we ever do our families. Mm-hmm. No question. No question. So, you know, how long do you date your wife before you, you marry them? It's the same type of thing when you pick an associate. When I met her, I was just waiting for her to say yes. So I mean, it could have been like, if she said yes after one hour, I would have said yes too. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> same principle though i yeah. mean you, you know you gotta you gotta vet them i mean you gotta yeah. figure it out because they, the last, i call it earning their right yeah because uh you've got to figure out you know ethics and things like that but you got to make sure that that's they're in it for the right reasons because you built your practice and it's obvious here on the right reasons yeah and one like like one bad apple and i've had them and i've had to get rid of them and, yeah. and uh it hurts it, it it more than hurts yeah and yeah. you know and um you know, and it's interesting. I got the other day, I got uh, somebody who was like, well, why are you so selfish about your practice? I go, because it's my practice. You know, I, I want it to be about what I want. And if I'm not happy, nobody around me is going to be happy. You know, I learned that about eight, <laughs> nine years ago, that if I do things based on what others want, I'm going to be unhappy. And that if I do things based on what I want, and I surround myself with people that are like-minded, and we're all going to be happy. And, and that's really my goal. My goal is to, I want to drive the vision of what we want to do. I want to surround myself with people who can tolerate me, who can like me, who are like-minded as me. And then that way we'll all be happy together. And when you find that person, a person's out there, they don't know it yet. Yeah. They don't know that they're, they don't know that they're going to get to walk in this door in this office every day and go to work. And they also don't know that what an amazing and wonderful opportunity they're about to have. Right, and and part of it also has to be is they have to understand how to cultivate that their own opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know what I one of the things, and I, I'm not I, I want to move off of this topic pretty quickly, but what I'm finding is associates want it, they want you to mentor them, and I'm of the school where you need to ask to be mentored more than somebody needs to mentor you, because I don't want to spin my wheels mentoring somebody that's not interested in being mentored. 
Well, it's it's no different than, uh, you know, it's a proven fact. If you give stuff for free, there's no value in it. Right. You know, so it's the same kind of thing. Like uh, I used to send all my new associates to the Koi Center because I thought that I needed them to understand what I did, you know, right off the bat. But the fact is, is they didn't really understand anything yet at all. And the the real value came and when they, and I just had this happen with one of my associates, the real value came was like, I'm ready for the next step. Like I need, like, like yeah, like they is, need to come like, to you and say, yeah, hey. and they did, you know, yeah. and, and and I'll be using you know, honest. Uh, you know, Danny is uh, in my old mothership in my old hometown. It's also his hometown, and he just recently, you know, we recently had a meeting after I, I go I go to his office one day a month, okay. you know, to to check things out, and really, you know, he will set up. He'll do like you know, he did a sinus augmentation that day. I didn't help him, but he knew I was in the building. And that was a that was peace of mind for him to get through one of his yeah, first. Yeah, so he ones. purposely schedules you. Right, day he purposely schedules what he needs to do while I'm there, so that you know if he has an issue, you know he can get that mentorship. And after you know after work, you know one of the things he asked me was he goes um he goes I'm ready for the next step. He goes I think uh, he goes I think I need you know to go somewhere. And I said well what are you thinking? And he goes well I he goes I think I need to go to Coise to start my to to start my journey. And I said well I said take the first you know I'll pay for the first course. And I'll judge on your uh, actions and implementation. Yeah, you know, when it gets back. And uh, he was like, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. And I said, well, and I told him, I said, I appreciate you coming to me yeah. with your thoughts. Uh, that's, you know, that's the difference. Yeah, the only thing I do differently there is I say I'll pay 50% of it. So that's all. Yeah. Well, he's got to pay his way out there. And he's yeah. got to he's got to have his loss of income and so forth. So it, uh, it's. But so it's, let me ask you, when you started learning, did anybody pay for you to take these classes? Did somebody pay your way out there? Did somebody pay for your loss of income? No, nah, no. Okay. No, no. So. I <laughs> That's okay. Maybe in the society. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. That's okay. I, I, eventually, I'll come around. I'll come around. So, Justin, um, okay, I want to make sure we get to this because we, we're going to go long. And not that I have something to do, but I don't want to go long on the podcast again. How can someone learn from you in the sense of, how to do more implants in their practice. You know, I'm not looking to do the numbers you do, okay? I'm just looking to do, I'd like, I'd like general dentists to do 100 implants a year. I mean, 100 is, a, 100 is a good number. I mean, some people are like, oh, that's a lot of implants. And I was like, it goes back to those same numbers we were talking yeah. about. Like, if you really understood the amount of uh, edentialism and the amount of teeth that you take out in your own practice, and then you just insert 100 tooth replacements into the deal, you'd be like, yeah, if you look at the hundred number, you'd be like, "Well, I'm not really hardly making a dent in the uh, in in my population." Yeah. But but I, I get what you're saying. You know, that's well, a, we can't get to a hundred. We can't. You know, <clears throat> you can't get to those bigger numbers without doing the first hundred. And yeah. and, and so I'm saying a hundred annually. Right. I mean, but the first hundred is the most important because the you know the literature shows that the first hundred implants you have a you have a much poorer success rate than the second hundred because of skill set. You know, right. the way, you know, of the inexperienced, uh, you know, doctor. But how do you get experience? Well, you got to get up and do them and you yeah. got to go do them. And what I love to do is teach people at that ground zero. Like I want to take uh, people that have never had experience or people that have had experience and they just want to get another feel because I don't care if you've done a maxi course. I don't care if you've done a, you know, someone else's institute. I feel like this is one of the biggest questions I always get. It's like, Hey, you know, I went through so-and-so's institute and, uh, you know, what is it? What is it? What it's in it for me? It's like, is it just going to be all repeat stuff? And I said, well, you know what? I don't know what so-and-so teaches. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what their, their curriculum is, but what I do know is that 
there's zero chance that it's the same. And you're going to get something out of my course, whether you've taken a million courses or not, that should be worth the tuition that you paid when you, when you leave. And if you got one more focus of view of, of from, from someone else of how to do something, now you're starting to make a collaborative treatment plan based upon the knowledge that you've gained, you know, from multiple sources and your patient's going to win and you're going to win in the long end. So take the course and, you know, and if you really didn't learn a, one single thing to make it worth your time there, like I always tell people, I was like, they don't give you your damn money back. I've never had to give anybody their no. money back, you know, never. So we took years, you know, I, I tried an institute once in Denver and it, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't make it long term. You know, we regrouped and uh, did some soul searching and figured out like, hey, you know what, how did I do it? And I mean, how did I come across this? And one of it was, uh, let's make it, e- you got to make it easier to do what you want to do. Yeah. So one of it was we took some of the things that you don't need to fly all the way across the country to take, like pharmacology or implant rationale. Important for your 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 foundation. For you gotta know it. it. You gotta know it. Whether you're guided or not guided, whether you're digital, not digital, oh. whether you're new, young, old, it doesn't matter. You gotta know. There's it. a basis of science that you've gotta learn that you don't have to fly all the way across the country to learn it and fall asleep after lunch or whatever it is, but you do have to have it. So we took that into an online module. There's 16 one hour modules uh, in our session one of the implant pathway. And then we have two in-person sessions that we get to actually interact with the attendees. And that's the most important part. Are the most of your, uh, most of your clients, I don't know what the right word is, are new to implants? I'd say about 70% are new to implants. The other 30 have some experience and for some reason, you know, just uh, uh, failures to launch okay. or slow launchers, you know. Why do you think people are failure to launch? You know, some of it is, you know, maybe how you were set up education-wise. Uh, some of it is a reliance on, you know, it looked it looked easy when somebody was there over your shoulder on a, on a, ta- on a typodont. Mm-hmm. But then at some point in implant dentistry, you got to go back to your office, yeah. numb somebody up and lay a scalpel to the tissue. Or a tissue punch, but yeah, but nonetheless, yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. You got to see some blood at yeah, some point. So. And at some point you're going to, if that's, if that's still a little light in your wheelhouse, at some point, you know, you got to think about it that night and you're just like, oh my God. I, I think that's the number one reason for failure for to sure launch. It is. I think people take didactic education. They watch it being done. They do it on typodonts. Typodonts don't have nerves. Typodonts don't bleed. Typodonts, you can reposition implants very easily. Uh, you know, you can glue things back together again. Right. Um, and I think they get back to their practice and they're scared. And, and what I loved about what you're doing is you have a solution to this. We do. It's session four. Uh, uh, we do a live implant training in Phoenix where it's a culmination of what we've learned. We take it to, we take it to the clinic where we have patients that are pre-screened medically. They're some of the most deserving people on the planet, you know, veterans that are, you know, trying to rebuild their lives and get some tooth replacements, smiles, you know, it might be as simple as just hanging a denture on a couple implants to give them the ability to chew again, you know, that, that self-confidence that they need. So we have the opportunity in a, uh, uh, in a beautiful facility at the Brighter Way Foundation to treat these patients. And we, you know, we have uh, three days of uh, implant placement. And the average person that goes through your program uh, that weekend, how many implants do they place? 10, 15, 20, uh, 800? uh, It could be as little as, you know, six to eight. Okay. It could be as high as 20. 
You it know, depends I, on how aggressive. I don't want to use the word aggressive. No, it is. How motivated they are. 100%. I, I think the word aggressive means like slam. My mind is you slamming. I think right. it's how motivated you are. Like when I go, if I went to that program, I'd be like lining up. Like how fast can I get it right. done? You know, hey, Justin, I'd be greasing the wheel. Hey, I want this. I want right. that, you know. Uh, you know, so so I think there's part of that, and some people are just slow and methodical, and they're happy with three, four, five, six uh, cases. I, th- I think where you, I think when you look at that, you know, in your class, you're going to have those that are going to take quite a while to do one, you know, their very first one, which is perfectly fine. I mean, it's uh, you know, as long as they're learning and, and gathering that didactic, uh, hands-on feel for what you know, bone and tissue and stuff is worth. But then you're going to have that that is like, uh, you know, I've been doing implants, you know, singles for a while, never done a full manual. You know, I've never done four between the framens. And, you know, that one may excel, you know, and, and, and we have the, what's awesome about the clinic is we had, we have that opportunity. So within the, you know, within the pathway and the first two, the first two sessions that you see me in, in person and through the hands on that we do in those, you get a feel for what they need and what they. Yeah, what, you'll know what, what the students. I, are I good know for. what they want to get. So then, yeah. when they're when they're ready to go to Phoenix, we can say we can line up just edentulous molar areas and abundant bone on healthy people and let them just get the what they need to do to go home and get that background of uh, you know having some initial success because that's the biggest thing. Like you want to go back and have some good success. You know, patient selection for your first. I say a hundred. Once you've done fifty, like you're going to start moving into areas that you're, you know, testing your comfort zone, mm-hmm. but you should go have some initial success first. Like don't do an immediate number eight on a diabetic, <laughs> your first run, your first run out. Like that's oh. not the, that's that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, I know what you mean. It's, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm only laughing because I can't tell you how many times, and it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think because I don't, I don't send this vibe out there anymore. But how many times I get a call from somebody and they've just bought a cone beam and they say, Hey, I just bought a cone beam. I placed a few implants, but I've got my first full arch case. I need you to help me with it. And I'm like, so you want me to help you with a more complex case remotely, right? And uh, so I don't get it as much as I used to, but you know, I, I politely declined to, to assist in those situations. And, uh, it's just, it's amazing to me how people, how sometimes we, the path, I love the word pathway because to me, the, for me, my implant journey started molars. Okay. Then I moved to immediates. Then I moved to anteriors and then I moved to full arches. And, um, so, you know, that, that, that's been my pathway. That pathway. I wish everyone followed that pathway because if you followed that pathway, your pathway is going to lead to a, a, a very rewarding implant career. Oh yeah, because you know, it, what happens? What happens? And I see it over and over. And, and even the, even if you preach it, you know, some just get a, are more cavalier than other. And you know, when your first three or four implants that you see, you're just broken teeth, and you're like, you know, no better time than now. You know, let's let's get after it. And then two of the four or three of the four fail. Mm-hmm. Then then you hang it up in the box, and the and the motor sits in the corner and gathers dust because the you know, that the, the sting from that is more than you're willing to go back and go do. Well, people say, Hey, I'm ready to try my first implant. It's a number eight on a 25 year old. Like you're nuts. Right. You know, like, like don't, don't, like, I mean, don't, like, ruin, I would like to refer that out. Don't ruin it for our profession. <laughs> you know, but, but listen, I was, 
And this is a broader point. You know, I was, I don't want to say I was rich because I wasn't. In my mind, I'm still not. But um, I was very comfortable financially and never financially motivated. So early in my implant career, when somebody came in with a front tooth, I said, listen, you know, look, Justin, I do a fair number of implants. You know, right now, my major focus on implants is in the back teeth. They're, they're more forgiving. You know, Justin, what you need is a front tooth implant. It's a little bit more complex. Quite frankly, I'm, I want to help you with this and I'll get you to the right person, but I'm not going to place that implant. I'll, I'll work with you. I'll quarterback the case. I'll restore it. I'll do all of those things so you get the result that, that, that I want you to have. But right now, surgically, I'm going to have you go see XYZ to have that place. And it was hard to do because it's hard to say no to the money, certainly. But it, it paved the way for me to have good successes, not to have any, you know, any... It's reputation maintenance, too. Well, that and, you know, listen, you know, I didn't want to get gut punched and get gun shy. Right. You know, so so I didn't want those big failures. You know, and, and a failure in the back tooth, you can get over that. But a failure in the front tooth, man, you lose tissue, you lose buckle plate. It's catastrophic. You know, like, it's, like- it's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge deal, and, and the, the rebuild of it, A, is not easy, it's not predictable, yeah. and it's almost never like it was once before. No, it's grafted bone, so it's not as vascular. It's, it's, never, it's, yeah. never, it's never the same. Yeah. It's never the same. So. so what would you be your, let's, let's say, what would you be your number one advice to somebody that's, let's do two different questions, okay? Selfishly, I'm asking this, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're talking to somebody that's brand new to implants, never placed one, whatever, what would be your tell them their first step is to get started? The first step is take a course. Okay. I mean, it is. I mean, the, the first step is to explore. But how do I choose? There's so many. Well, there, there's, a, there's a ton of them. I mean, you gotta, you've got to choose based upon your feel. You know, like everyone has a different teaching personality and a, yeah. a, a, you know, and a different style. And, uh, you know, what is, uh, what is it that you're after? I mean, is this something that you're trying to, you know, there's different levels too. And we see this in the younger the docs too, is that, they want to be everything and everything like they want to, you know, they want to go straight to full arch. They want to do all this stuff that they see is, is really, but you got to kind of, you got to crawl before you run. Yeah. You got to crawl before you walk. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? and, and so, you know, when I would tell them, say, you know what, Hey, you know, find something that fits your, your style, you know, that, uh, is, uh, does it, how's it going to work with your environment? You know, for us, um, if I can do this in a town of 1100 people, and, you know, like, you know, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, if you can do this, you can do it anywhere. Like, it doesn't matter if you got 50 dentists in, in, in two blocks or if you, if you have, uh, uh 50 dentists and, you know, 200 miles. It, it's, there's always room for a good dentist and patients always have, you know, patients yeah. always have that tolerance for it. So I, that's what, that's what I tell them. Is well, that, that, you're not being self-serving enough. So let me help people. Be I know, I know. I'm not, okay, well, I, we I, talk I, about I'm, this. Not, I'm not very good no, at no, that. But, but, uh, but, and I'm not being self-serving towards you, but I would say, let me say this. I think there's multiple criteria I look for in implant education. And I wasn't fortunate enough to have these criteria. Okay. All of them. I would say number one, first and foremost, when you take education, it would be somebody with a like personality, somebody that you enjoy learning from. Right. Okay. So if you're a science learner, get a science teacher. Okay. If you're a fun learner, get a fun teacher. Okay. If you need a little bit of both, find somebody that's a little bit of both, you know, because you want a good learning experience. So you want to find somebody who appeals to you. I would say that first and foremost. Number two, specific to implants. I would say only go to a course that offers some type of live patient program. 
So if you go to a program that doesn't give you the opportunity to actually place implants on human beings, I don't think it's as good as a program. I, I just don't think it's the right fit for most people. My personal opinion. Okay. And granted, you know, for all these years, all these programs didn't have that. And we produce many great implantologists. Okay. But I think in today's world, you need to have that. And number three, and this may be controversial a little bit. I believe you have to get some local backup for somebody to help you grow while you're in your area. So for me, that was my oral surgeon. I went to him and said, Hey, listen, I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. And I would prefer for you to like it. And I want you to know I need your help so I can learn and do more and get bailed out if we ever need to get bailed out. And he was more than gracious enough to go above and beyond in that journey. And I think those are the three things people need to have a great outcome and great education. And uh, so... Well, I, th I think you're right, and that's what we've we, what that's what we've created. When I talk about you know somebody that's your style, that's the likability. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you know, you're right. If you're all science, if you're all science based, and you only want to you only want to learn about what's in the literature, then that's the kind of person you need to go to. Yeah. You know, but we all know about literature. You know, right. uh, you know, versus uh, you know someone that might take it a little more lighthearted, like yeah. like for me you or know? me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like people for like sure. us. Yeah. I mean. Um, you should go to a you should go to a course that offers fireball. <laughs> yes, of course, right. I mean, like, you should go to a yeah. course that offers fireball at the end of the day, and yeah. uh, um, and you should go to one. I hundred percent agree that it has a live implant placement component oh, to okay. it. But I think what we do better than anyone else is we restore. We yeah. teach you the restorative. Well, I think we I think you we, do a you do it in the U.S. You're doing it on deserving very much. Define deserving. What what are your your patient base? Veterans. Yeah, you know, veterans. Uh, you know, the most of the people that go through there, uh, they're not the they're not the the homeless person sleeping mm. in the gutter. Like, like we're talking about people that have maybe been homeless, lived in the shelter, and are now in a group house or even their own apartment, and are, and are starting to get their job. They're the working back. class people of the For United sure. States of America, a hundred percent. The forgotten people, in a way, all the time. Yeah, all the time. So and so, you're doing it in the U.S. in Phoenix. Yep. Uh, and people get to restore and place implants. Yeah, okay. the majority of the restorations are on dentures. dentures you know, remo yeah. remova removable prosthesis okay. because a you know we can take impressions one day. Uh, we have an on-site laboratory that makes dentures, so we can yeah. have it done the next day. I mean, okay. there's uh, which is not you know the the clinic isn't set up uh, like yours is with you know Sarac and stuff. Yeah. Hopefully, one day we can get some donation and yeah, stuff sure. that we could. We could start to move that way for the single units, but a lot of these people, as much as we need, you know, to find the, the, the single units and stuff, which we do have, a lot of these people need dentures held in. Yeah. Mean, that's, that's a, I mean, that's a big set well, of listen, population. What, 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 is, what is it? One third, one, one quarter to one third of the adult population over the age of 65 will be edentulous? Correct. So yeah. we need that. Right. And it, it's funny because people are like, oh, well, edentulous is on the decline. Well, the population, the, 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 the rate that the population is increasing is outpacing the rate of uh, edentulism. So yeah. it's never going away. No, it's impossible. It's impossible. And uh, yeah, and people, nobody loves dentures. I've never met a single person that loves their dentures. You know, Dr. Massad probably likes dentures, but... Uh, no, no, I'm talking about patients. Oh, right, yeah, right, right. I'm talking right, about right, patients. Right. Yeah, there are a few dentists yeah, that like yeah. them, but uh, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, nobody... Nobody is, I mean, there's nothing in dentistry that, that we are more aware of than the problems associated with a lower denture. I mean, name one dental condition that people are more aware of the problem with than the lower denture. Yeah. 
There, it doesn't exist. Like that is problem number one in dentistry for the patient is the is the the lower dent the lower non retained denture. All right, last question, and this one's very selfish. Okay, <laughs> how does somebody that go from placing hundred to one hundred and fifty implants and double it? How can I learn from you to get my practice to place more implants? What what, what is it that I need? It's multifaceted. For one. You can learn and be the best surgeon on the planet, but if you don't get your team to speed and, and, and be able to talk the talk, like if your team, I, I talk about, there's two buy-ins with your team. And I think there's, uh, it, sometimes they happen simultaneously. Sometimes there's a lag between them. But when your team uh, buys into dental implants, and that buy-in is that if they were missing a tooth, they are educated to know that the only real tooth replacement for that is a dental implant. So that when someone owns on the phone or they're down on the street corner at, at, at the, uh, the grocery store and someone says, Oh, I just had this tooth pulled. Well, you know, they're going to be like, you need to have a dental implant. I mean, it holds bone. It does these things, you know, all, all the things. But the second real buy-in is when your team has that conversation and said, you know what? Um, I only want, you know, you should come to see my dentist because that's the only one I would have to place my implant. I, there's, there's, there's a difference between the buy-in of the procedure <laughs> itself. And then the buy-in of your skill set and why it's so important that they do the implant because they're that, that good. And when you get that and you put the systems into your practice, you know, the looking for the edentialism, you know, teaching the, you know, teaching the team where it's at, how do we, you know, incentivize them, whatever, whatever it is, that coupled with technology to create, increase the skill set of the doc, you can take the practice as big as you want. I would add one thing to that, maybe. I would look at, I would be become a little analytical and look at the types of, not brand of implants, but the type of implants we're doing. Are you doing all edentulous sites? Are you doing all posteriors? Are you doing, you know, all whatever it is? Are you doing all implants that you can't, only when they don't require grafting? And I would say maybe that you have to go beyond your current skill set and then add something. And I think the, in my opinion, the easiest area or the biggest opportunity area that I see right now is the immediate placement. I, I, a lot of people I talk to don't do immediate placement. They take out teeth, they graft the site, they let it heal, and then they wait the, you know, the solid four to six months and then they go back in and place. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to uh, immediate load or delayed immediate placement, um, that, uh, people aren't, um, leveraging enough. For sure. You know, my practice, you know, my practice is different than most. I mean, uh, it's a referral based implant practice so i your one practice your surgical center. yeah my, my particular yeah. yeah my particular practice but uh, your other six practices are general dip, dentist. Dental, yep. dental dentist and practice. um my practice is probably half broken tooth fix a tooth mm-hmm. and i do a ton of immediates and that is one you're exactly right that is one way to because most uh, surgeons aren't doing that virtually zero yeah virtually zero because they don't it's not that it's not that they can't do it, but they they don't understand it from a restorative aspect of how important it is to. If you can set yourself up, if you can set the site up during the immediate extraction, all those things that we talked about earlier can be preserved instantaneously, and the patient might walk out with a tooth the same day yeah. too. Like it's it's the next evolution to. To implant dentistry. And that goes back to my statement that me and Mike DiTolo were talking about that mm-hmm. we want to move towards tooth replacement therapy. Right. The tooth comes out in the right biological conditions, an implant goes in. And um, we've been, you know, that's, you know, that's. I mean, when of, does the patient have the most bone? The, it's always the time of extraction. I mean, the, it's time the day of you take a tooth. It's the day you take the tooth out. I mean, you know, 
bone loss is 10 times greater the first year than all the subsequent years combined. Like, you know, even grafting, even, even the best graft loses buckle bone. You know, like it's the immediate implant is a, is, is an important, valuable tool in your tool bag. And when your skill set gets to the point where you can uh, do that, then your practice is at a different level. I want to ask you another question. I know we're way I thought you were limited by one. No, no, but not, okay. I'm not. It is your podcast. It's my, it's my house, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's my office. I have a guest in your and, office. And, so. and, I, and, and you're, you're depending on me for a ride home. <laughs> hey, don't kid yourself. I've got I got Uber. Uber. I know. I know. But, um, uh, I've never understood this, and we may edit this out, I don't know, but I've never understood this. What is this obsession with 8 millimeter wide implants for molars for immediate placement? My, under- my perspective of that is that's a bad thing, I think, that you would put such a wide implant in that would encroach on the buccal plate or the lingual plate. It is a bad if the 8 millimeter implant comes at the expense of the buccal plate, then it's a terrible choice for an implant. So I, th- I, I do think that the wide-bodied implant has its its place. I'm talking about super wide-bodied, not the 5 or 6 millimeter implant. I'm talking about the 7, 8, 9 millimeter wide Right, implant. like a big old southern 9 yeah. by 9 by 11 or whatever. Uh, it cannot come at the expense of the buckle plate. And define the expense of buckle plate. You need millimeter and a half left. Millimeter right? and a half. I mean, if it, if... If your implant is shoved up against the buckle plate, and even if you say, oh, you know, I've got it measured at 1.5. That's not enough. There's going to be some resorption. There's going to be some resorption. And does that buckle plate, if I, does that thick buckle plate have any vascularization to begin? Because all cortical plate. Did you flat? Did you flap? Then it's lost its vascularity from the periosteum. Right. I mean, there, there's so, there's so much to that that I think, again, People use those ultra, I call them ultra wide bodies. I think they use those ultra wide bodies as a crutch. To get stability. As a crutch to get stability. I think it's bad, personally. I know you can't, you might not. I I just don't see I do have have an opinion on them. I don't see the the need for them. I, I carry them as a tool in my toolbox, but it's one a month. Yeah. You know, and, and that's because that person might have 15 millimeter wide ridge. They might have a 13 wide ridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might, they might have it. And my placement of that implant, because those ultra wide bodies, what other thing people don't teach and they don't talk about is the wider the platform, the deeper you got to drive it. Yeah. Like it can't be super. Because you have an emergence. You have to have an emergence. So the, the bigger it is, the deeper you drive it. And now you're saying, well, how many people actually have that, that, that depth now to be able to place that big wide well, body? Well, you get a like, mushroom on a stick. For sure. So that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, it can be a tool in your toolbox, but it's not for every molar that walks in the door. Like it's gotta be, it, it, it's gotta fit that circumstance. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the implant that I use, uh, 90% of the time in the molar is 5.8 wide. 5.8. 5.8 wide. Yeah. That's a, that's okay size. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the predominant implant. And I you're use using always the platform shift implant from BioRisons? I do. I use Taper Plus and all the always, That's the plus of the, well, they, they Taper call, Plus. They all call them all the plus implants, the Taper Plus implants. Yep. The, the built in platform switch. Yep. Built in platform shift with the laser lock collar. Yeah. So. It's good. Yeah. That's, uh. Any other words of wisdom? Ah. If you want to do the implants, like you just got to get out and do it. Like, uh, you know, at some point, at some point, it's mm. like, I know you know this about technology too. Like at some point, you know, I don't know how many people sit on the side of the fence and they say, ah, you know what, uh, you know, the, the, the purple cam's coming out in a few months. I'm just going to wait for that. You know, like, well, you know what? Screw the purple cam. Like, you know, 
when the purple cam comes out, the blue cam's got a, you know, the rep's got a hell of a deal on that one. Like, yeah. Buy that one. Like yeah. so, at some point, you got to jump off and you got you got to do it. And implants are the same way. Like if, if you wanted to learn them, you know, come take the course. You know, yeah. come take the course. Like whether it's yours, whether it's mine, whether it's anybody. At a minimum, at a minimum of taking the course. Even if you end up going through all of it and the only implants you ever place are in the live surgery session and you get back and you say, you know, this just isn't for me. You've learned. But, but you, what have you have learned is A, you're going to learn that implants are the right thing for tooth replacement. You're going to learn that now you've chosen to use a periodontist or a surgeon or whoever it is. You're going to, you're going to know what you need to tell them to get the product that you want to get back. And you've learned how to restore that once they give it back, which that is still a value for what we charge. Absolutely. I have a different perspective on this, Justin. And I just, it just popped in my head. And we had talked about it earlier at dinner. So now I'm going to talk to the 35-plus-year-old dentist. Maybe even call it 40-year-old-plus dentist. When I got out of dental school in 1999, my first 10 years were being a restorative dentist. And then I started adding these procedures. And I would say that the vast majority of people of my generation, and your generation too, Justin you know, you're an outlier. They're slowly adding these procedures to their practice now. But what I'm seeing is that these whippersnappers, and I say that in a nice way, these people coming out of school, these millennials, as I like to call them, they've taken what took us 10 years to get to. They've shortened that timeline down to two or three years. Mm-hmm. And, and so they will, they will overtake us. And that's fine. That happens to everybody. But I'm not ready for it to happen yet. I need another 10 years before I'm ready for that to happen. So what I would tell somebody that's 40 plus listening to this, that if you don't participate in what I call advanced procedures, implants, sleep apnea, medical billing, all these other things, you're, you're putting yourself at risk of becoming irrelevant and having your practice passed by by those around us. And think back to when you opened your practice, how did you compete and beat those around you? You competed and beat those around you by doing things they weren't doing. Right. And, and these millennials are coming and they're doing things that you aren't doing and they're doing them faster. They're they take doing, early adapter to another level. They are. Yeah. And so I say from a perspective of species survival... <laughs> um, Implant, implantologist survival. No, I agree. You know, when I was, when I started out in Western Nebraska, um, for a hundred and if you put a pin in there and drew 120 mile around my office, I was the only one. And if you took the one big city where I moved to and moved in another hundred routes. What's the defined big city? 125, 120,000 people. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's a regional area, you know, yeah. and, uh, today, our county has has four doctors in it, all four places. Yeah, yeah. You know that your you, county has four doctors. My street corner has ten. Sucks to be you. I know it's it's great to me. I know. I'm just you know, it keeps me on my toes. Right. Honestly, you know, what? honestly, I, I I thank every day that the next dentist moves in down the street from me because it may like literally we literally had a dentist move in down the street and he has a better sign than me, so now I want a better sign. Okay, and, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it keeps me on my toes. Uh, but the difference is, is I'm willing to stay on my toes. Right. And too many dentists, they have if a you, slow erosion of their practice. The minute you think that you have your practice where you want it to be, 
you're screwed. You're already passed by. Yeah. Like you have to, it, it's, it's all gas, no brakes. Well, I think we should end it on this, gang. Thank you so much uh, to Dr. Justin Moody. Justin, how do people get in touch with you? You can find me uh, justinmoodydds.com. You can go to the implantpathway.com or, uh, you know, all the sites have my email and cell phone on it. Uh, give me a jingle. Call me. Uh, email me. Let me know. A jingle. That's interesting. Well, you know, probably a text. I mean, nobody really picks up the phone anymore. I don't, I hate picking, like when you called me today, I was like, why didn't you just text me? I hate, you know, what's sad is I'm driving. So you obviously, you shouldn't be texting me then, right? But I'm like, why do people call? Because I don't want to talk to anybody. So um, I'm going to remember that from now on. I'll yeah. probably just always call you now. Yeah, just to irritate just the hell irritate. out of me. I know, I know he's like. <laughs> <Yeah>. So um, <laughs> everybody, thank you so much for listening. And Justin, thank you so much for coming to Raleigh, North Carolina, not to visit me, to visit somebody else. Um, but uh, well, I appreciate the hospitality, <laughs> and uh, I shall not come again without. Um, I'm going to take you up. I'll probably make you yeah, stay with I'll me. I'll probably man. make you uh, uh, feed me and house me. I need to get an Uber account as a driver, so I can uh, so I can bill you for for the drive around town. See, there I would go. have to be Uber Black with my car. You know, I'm just just saying. I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, just because I'm not going to go for Uber X. Those rates aren't aren't good enough. So, um, everybody, you can do me a couple of favors. Uh, number one, if you could share these episodes on social media, we're trying to um, certainly expand our reach. Number two, if you could leave a review uh, on our iTunes page, that would be great. And number three, if you could make a consideration to see if we would be the right fit at 3D Dentists uh, for your educational needs and practice growth needs, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, and if we're not the right fit for you, you're still welcome to enjoy the podcast because it's okay. I can't be the right thing for everybody. So everybody have a wonderful day and we'll see you back next week. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind, the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode.